Amen. We had a uh, great week at family camp, um, a, a really uh, spirit-filled week. Um, all throughout camp, uh, my allergies were really bothering me, and uh, more so than normal. And then yesterday, I find I'm getting sick. Um, Ollie asked me, I told Ollie this morning that I was sick, and he says, what are you doing here? And I said, someone's got to preach this morning. Uh, so here I am. Uh, we get to uh, continue our series uh, on the book of Romans this morning. We're finishing up chapter 12 of the book of Romans. Um, after today, uh, as I mentioned during the announcements, I'll be gone for two weeks. And so we'll get a uh, two-week intermission uh, from this series on the book of Romans. But we're finishing up chapter 12 today. After I uh, come back from our travels, uh, we'll plan to finish up the last few uh, chapters from the book of Romans in five weeks. So... We are well on our way throughout this series. As a reminder for us all, Paul wrote the letter uh, of Romans to the church at Rome. Paul, he wanted to go visit uh, the church at Rome in person to go preach this gospel message. But in the meantime, he would write a letter uh, about the, this gospel message. And so all throughout the letter of Romans, we see this presentation of the gospel message that Paul gives to the church at Rome. And last week, we started uh, chapter 12, and we started what, what I view to be the last section of the letter. The first section of the letter and the first couple chapters of the book of Romans is all about our sin and, and, and our fallenness of mankind and how we are in need of a Savior. And then the, the bulk of the letter is found in the sec second section where Paul presents this plan of salvation that revolves around our Savior, Christ Jesus. Where, where essentially, if you have faith in God and Jesus, then you will be saved. No questions asked. And so that, 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 that was the longest part of the letter, starting about chapter 3 all the way through chapter 11. And then la last week, we started the, the last section of the letter, the practical application. We, we understand why we need to be a Christian. We need to be a Christian because, uh, long story short, uh, we receive salvation. Where, where originally, without this plan of salvation, we will have to pay for the wages of our sin. But because of God's plan of salvation, if we put our faith in him and his son, Christ Jesus, then we'll be spared uh, from that punishment, and we will live forevermore in God's coming kingdom where everything wrong with this world will be made right. And, and so Paul spent the first 11 chapters of this letter talking about the why. Why be a Christian? You know, that, that follows along very well. Uh, some of you guys may be familiar with Simon Sinek. He wrote a book called Start With Why. His main principle is that whenever we do something collectively or individually, we should know why we are doing it first. Oftentimes, we see people determine what they want and then how they are going to accomplish, and then they, they start uh, discussing or thinking about why they are doing uh, whatever action they're taking part of in the first place. But Simon Sinek uh, suggests that we need to look at this process in reverse. We need to start with why we do what we do. And then after we know why we do what we do, we can then look at, as far as how we are going to accomplish that, and, and then we look at what 
needs to be done to make it happen. And so in a church setting with North Hills here, we start with why by focusing on our vision, growing closer to God and expanding his kingdom. That is why we do what we do. And so once we understand why we do what we do, then we can look at the how and the what. And the, Paul does the same for us here in this letter of Romans. He spent the first 11 chapters talking about why be a Christian. And now we know why uh, we should be a Christian. Paul takes a look at how and what it looks like to be a Christian. And so in, in these next couple of chapters, Paul essentially is painting a picture for us as far as what it looks like to be a Christian in the first place, what it looks like to be someone who has faith in God and his son, Christ Jesus. And so last week, Paul was brushing with broad strokes. In essence, uh, Paul talked about in the first few verses of chapter 12, how we are transformed by the renewal of our mind. When we are focusing ourselves on God and his scriptures, uh, then, then as we renew our mind, our lives will be transformed. And throughout this process, we, we see that our bodies and lives, they serve as our worship to God. And then Paul also talked about being humble and using the gifts that God uh, has blessed us with. And today, Paul he takes out the, the, the fine paintbrush and talks about the intricate details of what it looks like to be a Christian. We're going to be covering 13 verses today, starting in verse 9, all throughout uh, the end of this chapter through verse 21. And within these, uh, first, uh, within these 13 verses, depending on how you add it up, there are 22 different details that Paul includes of what it looks like to be a Christian. And so he very much goes rapid fire, bam, 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 as far as some of these details of what it looks like to be a Christian. And so today we're going to be uh, doing something a, a little different uh, compared to what we've been uh, doing throughout this uh, series. We're going to read this whole chunk of scripture in one reading this morning, and then we're going to rewind and break down each detail that Paul includes in these 13 verses. We're going to spend uh, about a minute on some of these details, and, and a lot of these details we're going to be spending far less than a, a minute describing uh, what Paul is writing in verses 9 through 21. And so as we break down each of these different details of what it looks like to be a Christian, I want you all to take note of two different details that you could work on. As each of us, we, we have different strengths. We have different weaknesses. Paul talked about how God has blessed us with different gifts last week. And, and, and with that being said, as Paul walks us through what it looks like, the marks of, of the true Christian, you will see that some of these come very naturally to you. And you'll see that some of these do not come so naturally for you. And, and they're going to take a lot of deliberate effort and thought and action to apply these in your lives. And so as we go through these 22 different details, I just want you to focus in on two that you can apply to your life, two that, that maybe are as strong as the others, and that you can really focus in on them and, and work throughout uh, the, the coming weeks and the coming months uh, to, to improve these aspects, to improve these details of what it looks like to be a Christian in your life. And so without further ado, I'll, I'll go ahead and, and read Romans 12, starting in verse 9, all the way through verse 21. And you're going to see uh, what I'm talking about, rapid fire. He, he goes from one topic to the next as far as what it looks like to be a Christian. And so Paul writes, verse 9, Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. 
Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will heat burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. And so if you had someone on the streets and you asked them what it, what it looks like to be a Christian, this would be a pretty good response of what it looks like to be a Christian as far as our day-to-day living and living like Christ. And so as we break this down, starting from the top, back in verse 9, Paul says, let love be genuine. And so we need to exhibit a genuine love. In the English language, uh, the singular word love can convey a lot. You know, I love pizza. Uh, the same time, I love my wife. The same time, I love you all. And at the same time, I love God. While this is all accurate, this, this one word love conveys uh, different meanings in each of these instances. And so in my eyes, the English language is kind of sloppy with the word love. But the Greek language, they clean up this process a bit. They break it down a bit for us as they have a few different words for love. The word for love that we see here in verse 9, let love be genuine. That's the Greek word for love, which is agape. Some of you guys may be familiar with agape. Agape is an unconditional love where God loves us unconditionally, if we turn our backs on him, I believe he still loves us. I believe with our friends and our family members and coworkers who do not live a life of faith, who do not love God, I think God still expresses a sincere love for them as he loves them unconditionally. Without any conditions, he shows his love to all of mankind. And so God loves us unconditionally. And we too, we are called to unconditionally love God. We we are called to agape love God, which probably wouldn't uh, surprise many here this morning. But we are also called to agape love others. Jesus said in John 13, 35, he said, quote, by this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. And so Jesus says that the world will know that, that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. And that same word love there, that that is a Greek word, agape. If you have an unconditional love for one another, then, and it is only then, that the world will know that you are disciples of Christ Jesus. 
And so we are to have a genuine love, a love that is unconditional. No matter what others may do to us, we, we have a deep affection and love and care for each and everybody uh, that we come into contact with. And so let love be genuine, abhor what is evil. This is the only instance uh, where this Greek word occurs in the scriptures, abhor, uh, or the Greek word for abhor, and uh, the Greek word is apostigeo, um, and it means to abhor or to detest or to shrink from uh, in horror. Like if someone were to jump out at you from the closet and your initial reaction would be to reflex back, you are shrinking, you are shrinking from uh, in horror. And so the same word here, abhor, is what we are to do with this concept of evil. Solomon says in Ecclesiastes 3 that there is a time for everything. There's a time to love. And Solomon also says that there is a time to hate. And here, Paul tells us that that time to hate or that time to abhor is when we are confronted with evil. You know, some of you guys, uh, your mothers might have told you uh, growing up, don't say hate, for hate is a strong word. And, and it is a very, very intense, strong word. But we, we are to abhor, we are to detest, we are to hate evil. That, that should be our stance between ourselves and these evil concepts. And while we are abhorring what is evil, Paul says we are to hold fast to what is good. So on the contrary to, to hating what is evil, we are to hold fast to what is good. Uh, some translations uh, will read cling. We are to cling to what is good. So stay away for, from the evil things in this world. We are to do, detest it, abhor it, to shrink from it in horror or to hate it. But on the contrary, we are to cling to. We, we, we are to gravitate ourselves toward the good things of this world. Hold fast to what is good. In verse 10, Paul says, love one another with brotherly affection. And so here Paul is talking about this concept of love again. And here uh, the Greek word for love is Philadelphia, uh, and it means brotherly love. Uh, the city of Philadelphia in America is nicknamed the city of brotherly love, as the literal meaning in Greek is brotherly love. You know, it's the type of love that you share with your brother, the type of love that you share with your dear friends or your sisters, uh, you name it. You, you know what I'm talking about, that, that this friendly, compassion this friendly care, this friendly relationship that you have with, with, with those that you are close to. And Paul says that we are to love one another, Philadelphia, one another with brotherly affection. And so the people that you're sitting uh, on your right or your left or in front of you or behind you, you're to love them with that brotherly affection, the same sort of affection that you would give to your brother, your sister, or a dear friend of yours. And so that, that's another uh, detail of what it looks like to be a Christian. And not only are, are we to love one another with brotherly affection, but Paul says to outdo one another in showing honor. My favorite uh, book on marriage is Love and Respect, uh, as it highlights the importance of respect in a relationship. I find sometimes, especially in the marriage relationship, we get so wrapped up in this idea of loving one another that we may often overlook the importance of showing honor and respect to, uh, to those around us. Dr. Emerson Egrich, uh, in his book, Love and Respect, shows how all people 
but especially men are in need of respect. I think we've all been there. It can be a really deflating feeling, a deflating experience when you aren't given the respect or the honor that you expect from your spouse, your friends, uh, your fellow church members, you name it. We, we have to respect and honor those around us. In the midst of the differences of our opinions and the differences in our strengths and weaknesses, we all offer something to the table and we all need to honor, to show honor and respect to one another. And so that's another mark of a true Christian, showing honor to others. And then Paul says in verse 11, do not be slothful in zeal, but fervent in spirit serve the Lord. So the Apostle Paul, he was a great example of someone who was zealous to the Lord, meaning he was passionate for the Lord. You cannot take that away from him. When, when Paul was a Jew before he came to this understanding that Jesus was the Messiah, was the Christ, he was very zealous for the Lord. And in his zeal for the Lord, he, he actually uh, sought to kill uh, the, these many Christians and, and throw them in prison because he thought that these Christians, the, these people who are following this Jesus of Nazareth were going contrary to what God wanted. And so all throughout Paul's life, he was extremely zealous for the Lord. He was extremely passionate for the Lord. I think that that's part of why God chose Paul to be such an important instrument in this expansion of this Christian faith. When Paul was a zealous Jew, someone who didn't believe uh, initially that, that Jesus was the Messiah, God still saw the zeal, the passion that Paul had for God. And Paul used that zeal, or, or excuse me, God used that zeal, God used that passion of Paul and used it for a tremendous amount of good. Where now nearly half of the books of the New Testament was written by this man, the Apostle Paul, who had incredible amounts of zeal and passion for God and eventually in his son, Jesus Christ, as well. And so we all ought to learn from this great example of Paul and being fervent in spirit and being zealous for the Lord. Paul says that we have to stay away from being slothful in our zeal for the Lord. Are you lazy with your relationship with God? Are you not diligently spending time with God on a constant basis? If so, you are slothful, you are lazy in your zeal for God. And so maybe th this is something that, that you can work to improve on uh, be, having a sincere zeal for God. Do not be slothful in zeal, but fervent in spirit. And then uh, at the end of verse 11 there, Paul says, serve the Lord. We are to serve the Lord. Now, how do we do this? How do we serve the Lord as the Lord? Uh, Yahweh is sitting um, in heaven, and at his right hand is the Lord Jesus Christ. And so how are we to serve uh, the, these beings in which we don't come into physical contact with? Uh, well, Jesus helps us out uh, with, with this issue here, this conundrum. Uh, Jesus says in Matthew 25 that whatever we do for one of the least of these, we do for him. So whenever we serve the needs of those around us, we are serving the Lord. 
When we go and pack boxes of food at the Second Harvest Food Bank, I believe we are serving the Lord. I think with Leah and Annie, they, they are going to serve the Lord by, by serving the needs of those around them. When, when you are serving the needs of those around you, providing them with food, with clothing, with water, visiting them in the hospital or in prison, you name it, you are serving the Lord. And so how, how are you serving those around you? Could you use improvement in, in serving the Lord uh, by serving those around you? On top of this service, Paul says in verse uh, 12 that we need to rejoice in hope. As Christians, we have a great hope of the age to come. The time and place where we will dwell forever in God's coming kingdom, where everything wrong with this world will be made right. And that hope that we have shall cause us to rejoice. And so in the midst of our trials and tribulations and through the mundane of day-to-day -day activities, we can rejoice in the hope that we have. This morning in our Sunday school class, we, we talked about these various struggles, these various uh, tribulations that we go through from time to time. But in the midst of these, we can rejoice in the hope that we have as Christians They'll be part of a day and age where everything wrong with this world will be made right. And on top of rejoicing and hope in the midst of tribulation, Paul says that we should be patient in tribulation. I don't know if it's just me, but, but I find often when I find myself in, in a rough patch of life, I, I, I want delivered immediately. I went out uh, of this mess, whether I put myself in this mess or someone else put me in this mess. Whenever I'm going through, through a rough time, I, I find I'm extremely impatient and, and I just want delivered from uh, the, the, these various tribulations that I find myself in. And, and I think that's not just me. I, I think if we're honest with ourselves, I think many would agree that we are impatient in times of tribulation. We, we want deliverance right then and there. But Paul uh, and James, they talk about the positive effects, the positive benefits of when we endure through these tribulations as they produce endurance and steadfastness in us. And so tribulation is a time for us to grow as Christians. And, and so we have to be patient in these various uh, tribulations and, and these various trials that we find ourselves in. Be constant in prayer, uh, another uh, mark of the true Christian. Paul says that we are to pray constantly, or, or later in the letter to uh, the uh, church of Thessalonica, he says to pray without ceasing. We should be constantly seeking God in prayer. Prayer is a means in which we have to communicate with God. If you aren't communicating with him, I can assure you that you are not growing closer to him neither. And so constantly pray. Verse 13, uh, Paul says, contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. When one of our brothers or, or sisters in Christ has a need, we are to provide for those needs. So show hospitality to one another as well. Maybe invite a member of the church over for dinner. Treat them with respect and honor as your guest. So, so contribute to the needs of the saints and show hospitality. And Paul continues, verse 14, bless those who persecute you and do not curse them. Yikes, that, that, that is an eye-opening statement there. Bless those who persecute you and do not curse them. Well, when someone uh, persecutes uh, me, the last thing that I want to do often is uh, I want to bless them. Rather, I want to get back at them or, or whatever uh, the case may be. But Paul says that we are to bless 
those who persecute you and do not curse them. We are to wish well for those who persecute us. And so we continue uh, in verse uh, 15. You guys are doing uh, a marvelous job there. Uh, I know uh, it's uh, a mundane process going through all these details, but, but it's important to highlight each of these individual details of what it looks like uh, to be a Christian. And so Paul says in, in verse 15 that we are to rejoice with those who rejoice. As Christians, we have a great hope of the age to come. The time and place uh, where uh, we will uh, experience God's coming kingdom. But today, in the midst of these various struggles and tribulations that we find ourselves in, we are to rejoice with those who rejoice. One of the great blessings of being a part of a Christian family is that you have other people around you to rejoice with you in times of celebration. When you welcome in a baby into your family, or you get married, or you get a promotion, we can celebrate with those around us. That, that, that is a great detail. That, that is a great facet of being a part of a Christian family. And likewise, not only do we rejoice with those who rejoice, but we weep with those who weep. I find uh, uh, being a, a pastor, um, we have a, a couple of former pastors here as well. You guys may be able to relate with me. But, but often being a pastor, what, what that means is rejoicing with those who rejoice and weeping with those who weep. Oftentimes, we, we, we find ourselves in the happiest moments of people's lives, whether that be in their marriage or in, in the arrival uh, of a baby. And oftentimes, we find ourselves uh, in the midst of the worst moments of someone's life, whether that be uh, the loss of a loved one, the loss of a job, um, uh, breaking uh, of a relationship within a family. Now, I find that's, that's not unique to, to being a pastor as well. This is a mark of a Christian. We are there for those around us. We are there to rejoice with those who rejoice, and we're there to weep uh, with those who weep. Um, uh, J- Jamie often, uh, not often, but on a, on a couple of occasions, we're going to funerals, and, and she, she gets a little uneasy with, with the emotions of a funeral, and she's asking, what do you even say in a situation like that? We're going to a, a, a friend or a family member of yours who lost a loved one, and I find that it's not so much about what you say, but it's about your presence. It's about weeping with those who weep. It's, it's about validating these real, intense, hurtful, painful emotions that they are experiencing. And so weep with those who weep. Just be with them, empathize with them, uh, bless them uh, with your presence, and, and rejoicing with those who rejoice, and weeping with those who weep. Well, uh, along the, the, these same uh, concepts, so we need to live in harmony with one another. Building off of uh, last week, uh, we are many, uh, many members of one body. And each of the members of the body need to work together. And so we need to work cohesively as one unit, as one team, as one family, live in harmony with one another. In order to do this, we cannot be haughty. 
Paul says, don't be haughty or don't be prideful. That, that was one of Paul's focuses from our piece of scripture from last week as well. We are to be humble. When we are haughty and prideful, then, then the focus is on me, me, me. And when the focus is on me, 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 the focus is off of God and our focus is off of those around us as well. And so in order to live in harmony with one another, we, we are not to be hard, haughty. We are not to have this prideful self-image and we're not to just focus in on me, 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 but, but to focus in on those around us as well. I find oftentimes uh, when we are prideful, uh, we, we are thinking we are uh, the smartest, wisest uh, person uh, in the room. But Paul says uh, to, to never be wise in your own sight. In the book of Judges, uh, when a, uh, if you read through uh, the book of Judges, about 21 or 22 uh, chapters, uh, we see this same cycle happen over and over and over again throughout the book of Judges, where uh, God will, will uh, bless uh, the nation of Israel with a judge, a, a local leader, and, and the people, they will be on fire for God, they, they will uh, please him, and then the judge will die, and the people fall away from God, and the people do what is right in their own own eyes and they get themselves into a lot of trouble. And so God delivers them by giving them another judge and they're following God. The judge dies and they do what's right in their own eyes. And we see this cycle uh, play over time and time again throughout the book of Judges. But a line uh, that, that you'll see constantly throughout uh, uh, the book of Judges is that the people would do what was right in their own eyes. Whenever the, these people, the, the nation of Israel, relied on their own wisdom, it led to many, many disasters. The last few uh, chapters of the book of Judges are some of the ugliest chapters written in the Bible. As we see uh, what it looks like uh, to be wise in our own sight, to, to rely on our own understanding, our own wisdom, rather than seeking God's wisdom in our life. And then as we uh, plug along here, verse 17, Paul says, repay no one evil for evil. This is similar to, to blessing those who persecute us. We are to repay no one evil for evil. Jesus tells us in the Sermon on the Mount to turn the cheek. Uh, when, when someone slaps us on one cheek, turn to them the other cheek as well. Repaying no one evil for evil. Along these lines, Paul says, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Don't just be a peacekeeper, but strive to be a peacemaker as well. I find oftentimes people are cool with being a peacekeeper, um, but if there isn't peace, seldom do people strive to make peace out of a rocky situation. So my question for you is, are you not at peace with someone? And if you're not at peace with someone, what can you do to make peace with them? Can you write them a card? Can you sit down and talk with them one-on-one? -on -one? Can, can you bring in a trusted godly man or woman into this conversation? But what are you doing to, to actively, so far as it depends on you, to live peaceably with all people? And we need to be a peacekeeper, but on top of that, we need to be a peacemaker, making peace in the midst of these rocky situations that we may find ourselves in. And then Paul says, uh, third to last one here, Paul says, to never avenge yourself, leave it to the wrath of God. 
And so again, along the same lines of blessing those who persecute you and repaying no one uh, evil for evil. Sometimes we want to exact revenge on someone who wrongs us, but that's not our vengeance to seek. As ultimately, they're, they're, they're not sinning uh, against us. Ultimately, they are sinning against the, the, the creator of the heavens and the earth, the, the, the creator of this good world that we, that we live in, this good world that was broken by sin. And God is going to take care of it in due time. Sometimes the, the person who has done you wrong may get away with it for a, a day or a couple weeks or maybe a year, 5, 10, 15, 20, 50 years. Maybe their whole life they go with, with, without, uh, with, with getting away with, with, with whatever they have done wrong to you. But I can assure you, if they don't seek repentance, if they don't seek God's forgiveness, God will have vengeance. Vengeance belongs to the Lord. Vengeance does not belong to us. And so never avenge yourselves for, for that vengeance belongs to God and to God alone, which is hard to do because in the moment, in the heat of the moment with, with, with our emotions stirring, when someone wrongs us, we want to avenge ourselves and seek our honor and respect. But, but that vengeance does not belong to us. It belongs to the Lord. And then Paul says that we are to provide for our enemies, uh, whether that be uh, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For uh, by so doing, you will heat burning coals on his head. Uh, the, the, this concept of killing them with kindness. Um, heard that growing up uh, within school. If someone does you wrong, kill them with kindness. They, they won't know how to respond when they are brutal to you, but instead you respond in kindness. And so providing for your enemies, uh, those people who are actively uh, going against your will and your desire, providing for their needs. Jesus said, if, if someone uh, sues you for uh, your tunic, uh, give them your cloak as well. He said, if a Roman soldier commands you to go one mile with them, go two miles. Uh, point being that, that, that we are, are to, per, to provide for the needs of our enemies. We are turning our cheek. We, we are not repaying evil for evil. Instead of repaying evil for evil, Paul says that we are to overcome uh, evil with good. And whatever someone confronts us with, whatever evil things happens to us, we are to overcome it with good. And so there we have it. Uh, 22 different details of what it looks like to be a Christian. This is, this is getting down in the nitty-gritty day-to-day life as a Christian. As we talked about throughout this series, uh, the Romans, the foundation of our faith. When we put our faith in God and his son, Jesus Christ, it will sanctify us. It will set us apart. Our life will look dramatically different from those around us. And you ask, how is it going to look dramatically different from those around us? Well, we're going to have a genuine love. We're going to hate what is evil. We're, we're going to repay evil for good. We're, we're, we're going to live in harmony. We're going to be at peace with one another. This is what it looks like to live a sanctified, holy life that is set apart from the world. 
And so I'd encourage you all to, to, to just pick out two details from this list that you need improvement on. And I encourage you to, to be diligent with it. If it is making peace with someone, I encourage you to sit down this week, um, writing a card, uh, sitting uh, down with them face to face, making peace. If it is uh, being constant in prayer, I encourage you to, to develop a habit of sitting down, whether in the morning or at night or at noontime, uh, or constantly finding yourselves in prayer to God whether it be uh, not repaying evil for evil, whatever the case may be, find two details that you do not find comes naturally to you because we all have various gifts. We all have various strengths and weaknesses as well. And some of these come naturally to you and some of these will not come naturally to you. And we need to work on these because this is what it looks like to be a Christian. And we know why we should be a Christian. Paul laid that out in the first 11 chapters. Then comes the day-to-day -day act of living a Christ-like life in this world. As we are living in a world full of darkness. And this right here, this is how we are to be the light of the world. This is how we let our light shine before others. Let's pray. Father God, I thank you for this day that you have made. Uh, Father, I, I thank you for this list uh, of details of what it looks like to be a Christian. Father, I pray that day in and day out, we, we are continuing to sanctify ourselves, to set, our, to set ourselves apart for your glory and for your honor. And so, Father, I just pray that you use us together as a church, that we can stick out like a sore thumb, that we can be the light on the hill in the midst of a world full of darkness. And so, Father, help our light shine before the world. So, Father, we love you. We thank you. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.